0: Welcome to another edition of Irish Mike's Podcast. We're on Season 2, Episode 5, where we're joined by Lulu Beans of Feral Woman Farm, a small farmer in the Suquamish Valley, where we discuss chicken husbandry, chicken butcher, and why it's important to continue to have small farms in and around our community, both for long-term and short-term goals and the health of our families. When it's over, go and check the show notes at irishmikesmith.com forward slash podcast dash feral, F-E-R-A-L, and please subscribe and rate us on the Apple, Spotify, and Google podcast platforms. Five-star ratings, of course, are appreciated. It does help us book additional interviewees, so we would love it if you went out there and made some comments and rated us. Thank you so much for joining. Lulu from Feral Woman Farm, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, Mike. I'm happy to be here.
0: Well, I'm really excited that you're here as well. Uh, we sure certainly have had a good time getting to know you and your growing family. Um, I think a year plus ago, we had you out to the farm and you hosted a uh, chicken uh, husbandry and butcher class, a moment, but uh, it's been exciting, um, you know, watching your career and developing business and things like that. And I kind of want to get into all that. How does that sound? Sounds great. Well, tell, so take me back a little bit. How, how did you get into, uh, I guess we'll call it small scale farming?
1: Sure. Um Gosh, it must have been about ten years ago now. I I got out of high school and I decided that I didn't know yet what I wanted to do with my life, and so I took a gap year, and I traveled around, woofing and working on some different farms, um, and I just kind of fell in love with it. I something about being outside and all the elements and you know, being close to nature, working with livestock and plants, it just felt, it felt so right to me. And so I just pursued that. And I went back to school, I went to college um, done at Evergreen State for just one semester, I wanted to get into their um, sustainable farming program, but um, didn't because I was an underclassman. And so I did a semester and something else. And I just kind of, you know, over that time, realized, I don't really need to go to a university or college to be a farmer. That's something I can learn on the ground. And so I left and I just continued to do that. I just always had one foot in farming, was either doing some sort of small farming enterprise myself or working for some other farmer and, um, and just kind of grew. I just learned, you know, different kinds of farming and, um, settled on livestock. That was what I was passionate about, what I was good at and butchery. Um, I did an internship with um, a local whole animal butcher and and kind of connecting those dots from start to finish of uh, raising the animals for me and then knowing the whole process to butcher and sell them, um, just really tied everything together for me.
0: So you didn't grow up in a farming family or much exposure and what was, kind of what was your first exposure to to farming at any level?
1: Well, my parents were uh, New York fashion industry people. <laughs> my dad was a professional fashion photographer and my mom was a fashion stylist. But my mom comes from Washington, he, like just south of us here in Aberdeen, way out in the sticks. And um, I have an aunt Um, Who has a 40 acre farm down there. And I think that was my first exposure was just our summer visits to see family here and just being let loose on the farm to chase ducks and wrangle goats and, you know, play in the pigeon coop and something about that stuck with me, I think, through my whole life.
0: I love that. Uh, so how would you describe yourself? Uh, it, I mean, farming, when you say the word farmer, right, most of us probably think of, you know, the big, you know, wheat fields in eastern Washington or throughout the Midwest or something like that, where there's combines and massive tractors, you know, either pulling up, you know, wheat or or uh, fruit or vegetable or something to that effect. I mean, what, you know, so is it farmer? Is it homesteader? Is it something else? I mean, what what do we call, uh, you know, something about what you're doing with Feral Woman Farm?
1: Well, I guess I kind of feel like the word farmer encompasses anybody that's working with the land and producing something off of it. Um, like no matter how small you are, if you've got an acre and you're growing a garden and selling your vegetables or even giving them away to your neighbor, you know, like I think you're still a farmer. You're just you're just <laughs> a different cog in the east ecosystem of farmers. And, and, you know, the big guys are really important, you know, our grain producers, you um, you know, who supply everybody who feeds their livestock and, um, and you know, are just as important as the medium and small scale farmers and homesteaders. I think, yeah, I consider myself a farmer. Um, I'm by no means a large scale farmer. I'm farming 10 lease acres right now. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, I would consider myself a farmer.
0: Sure, I love it. You know, as it relates to the big picture and the big industrial farms and the ones that we kind of refer to in other parts of the country, uh, why are small-scale farms like yours so important? What what makes kind of what we're trying to do on a small scale, you know, sort of matter as it relates to, you know, the ecosystem, the world, uh, climate, you know, any of the comments you want to make on that? Why is this important?
1: I think to me, two major points come to mind. I think the first one is we're keeping an art and a craft alive. I mean, this is a, this is a ages old trade that, you know, people have, have worked over centuries, you know, I I mean, it's, it probably started as a survival skill growing, you know, some corn behind your village to feed your, you know, family and your, and your people through the winter. And now, you know, we've grown into being able to feed entire countries. Um, you know, off of what we're producing, and I think the small guys, you know, they keep that knowledge, they keep that that heirloom skill and seed and breeds of livestock alive. Um, whereas, I think maybe some of the larger scale farms need to focus on more commercial uh, varieties of what they're producing to allow them to operate as a large business like that. And I think we have an important part in the ecosystem of farming as small farmers because we keep alive the diversity um, that we need to, to keep our seed banks healthy, to keep our you know, variety of livestock breeds healthy. You know, we need all those people on the ground that are passionate about what they're doing, preserving those skills and, and uh, resources to, you know, be able to pass them on to the next generation. Um,
0: I, I think you bring up a really good point about passing it on, right? Uh, so much of our history in the United States is agar- agrarian, you know, farming, agriculture, things like that. And a lot of it was passed on from, you know, father to son, uh, mother to daughter, you know, and so forth, you know, grandfo- grandparents involved. And we've lost a little bit of that, right? Most people think that when they uh, need some burger or a steak or a piece of chicken, that it, it everything comes out of the, you know, cellophane wrap. Uh, and somehow they, there's a big disconnect into these are, you know, living things, you know, for a minute or 10 or a few months. right? <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and we're losing the... The, the, the pass it on um, phrase and methodology I think of of so many things but farming in particular uh, right would you agree with that
1: yeah absolutely. I mean that connection is so important that understanding where your food is coming from so you can appreciate it is so essential to preserving everything about our natural world you know and our ecosystems I think we We have to
0: be aware of that to appreciate it. I agree 100%. Uh, One of the cool things that I've noticed and we will kind of transition into some of the specific focus that you're doing is, and you touched on it, was, you know, heritage breeds, right? Uh, Pigs, chickens, uh, cattle, and other animals that maybe have been lost to the big agribusiness. And some uh, small scale farmers like yourself are, are kind of reinvigorating some of these breeds, bringing them sort of back to life, literally. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you know, they're you're raising animals uh, that maybe uh, aren't destined for the slaughterhouse on the big the big company, uh, but are you know super delicious and fun to raise and things like that. Would, uh, what, right. would you, what would you say to that?
1: Yeah, I mean, some of these heritage breeds are just particularly well suited to the small producer. I mean, like take for example the Coon Coon pig. Um, you know, from New Zealand that was just in the past 10 years brought back from the brink of extinction um, and is now incredibly popular, especially here in the U.S. and in the U.K. Um, And, you know, they are definitely not a commercial breed. They are a lard type pig, which is completely out of fashion right now in commercial (laughs) meat. Um, You know, they they take fifteen to eighteen months to get to a size where you can get a, a decent pork chop out of them, um, but they are so well suited to the small scale farm because they, like for example, they they can graze. They have those short snouts and they can live on pasture. Um, you know, with a with a small footprint without damaging your pasture. If you rotate them properly, they will graze and improve your pasture. Um, You know, you don't have to raise them in a hog house, like a commercial pig or. um, And then, yeah, you know, chicken breeds. I, I get people in my workshops all the time who are raising heritage breed chickens or dual purpose chickens. Orpingtons are a popular one, Jersey Giants. And, you know, people, they appreciate them for their flavor and, you know, their economy on uh, pasture and forage and, um, you know, and, and they take longer to grow and they maybe are harder to pluck, but there's a place for them. And, they're important genetic diversity for, you know, the species of chickens and pigs.
0: Uh, yeah. I want to get into deeper into chickens, uh, here in just a second. I, I wanted to, once something that you said, uh, got my attention, um, about the specific heritage breeds, uh, and why it's important for sort of the biodiversity uh, of the land, right? Um, I've been reading um, different books and cookbooks and whatnot because I'm working on some projects with our own, uh, you know, sort of meat and food and all that. And the the idea of the family pig or the family cow or the family yeah. whatever, you know, for for wasn't that long ago that every family had to have one or two of these things especially uh, in our european you know descent uh, just because i'm mostly european descent and i'm a fat you know i remember i don't remember but i've talked to uh, many of my family members and that's what it was like but they would raise a pig or they would raise a cow and if this cow or pig or chickens didn't make it for that year they literally did not eat there was no heading to qfc you know that night to bail us out for dinner they took care of it and they were paid special attention to what they were raising, how they were raising it, because their life literally depended on it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I think that's fascinating. And I, and I almost wish we could kind of go back to that. I mean, maybe not officially. We're certainly trying to do that. I know that you do it uh, and you're trying to teach that. So let's talk about that. You uh, will use chickens as kind of the example, uh, but you've created a, a fun little business um, where you teach and do teach workshops, right? On on chicken um, raising husbandry is the word. And talk about that a little bit.
1: Sure. Yeah. So a few years ago, I started doing husbandry and butchery workshops. And and husbandry is basically, it, it's being a good husband to your animals. It's taking good care of them and cultiv- you know cultivating them and managing them. In a way that um, you know is healthy for them, and healthy for the land, and healthy for you as their consumer. Um so let me and jump so, in real quick, if
0: you don't mind, Lulu. So husbandry literally means caring for. Like you are you're raising these animals with the intention of of harvesting them and consuming them, and or selling them, or something like that. Is that is that right? Exactly. You know, I
1: think, you know the. phrase husbandry doesn't necessarily have to apply to something you're going to eat you know i think if you're raising something to breed or even as a pet you know good husbandry is taking good care of what you have in your management you know um so that's one of the things i try to teach folks who are interested in learning about raising backyard flocks to feed their family i think You know, you often hear people say chickens are the gateway farm animal. And I think the same goes for (laughs) chickens are a gateway meat animal. You know, Um, they're quick and easy to raise. They're relatively quick and easy to process and put in your freezer and feed your family. Um, And so by teaching these workshops, I'm hoping to offer people the hands-on experience that they can't get from watching a YouTube video um, so that they can feel confident and empowered to do this in their own backyards you know whether they've got half an acre or ten sometimes all it takes is that opportunity to have somebody who knows what they're doing guide you through the process to you know be like okay I think I can try this on my own and I've got somebody I can call if I have questions you know
0: well, and you, you were that for us when we did the class here. Um, you know, it, the barrier of entry to raising chickens is actually not that big. Many cities, right, bigger cities, have ordinances that allow people to raise chickens in their backyard. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, uh, they weren't allowing that maybe for a while, um, and it. But it, but yet it seems intimidating, right? And what I liked about the class that you taught is that for lack of a better phrase, you kind of dumbed it down for us and said, hey, this is, it's actually easier than you think. You don't need to go spend a bunch of money or have a whole bunch of supplies and you can feed your family and you can either feed them eggs or you can, you know, feed them meat or both depending on the situation. Mm
1: -hmm. Exactly.
0: So you teach these classes a few times a year all around the community, right? King Pierce, Snohomish County or something like that.
1: Right now, we're just teaching in King County. Um, We're now teaching all of our classes on farm in North Bend. Um, And yeah, we do a few a year, usually a couple in the spring, a couple in the fall. And we're doing um, some rabbit husbandry and butchery classes as well. And hopefully next year, I want to beef up the um, offerings, you know, educational offerings that I have. For folks Wait, so. is that a
0: pun? Beef. Up. That, <laughs> <just
1: kidding>. Always.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, let, let's drill down on the chicken part. So, so let's say I come to you or in your class, and and I say, you know what, I think we want to try this, which we did literally, um, and uh, so we want to start with like, w- what would you say? What is the? How, how would one get started in raising chickens, and then? What would a daily routine look like? Uh, Again, dumb it down for for Joe and Susie American out there who might be considering this.
1: Sure. I mean, it really is easy to get started with chickens. Um, You know, the main things you need are shelter, food, water, um, you know, protection from predators and an ability to process them, whether that's yourself or using, you know, a paid by the bird service which still exists out there um, so you know you start by deciding what kind of shelter you're going to use I definitely recommend chicken tractors because they have a small footprint because you're going to be moving them around all day they don't need as much space um, you know to be sedentary in one place you're going to move them so you can you know make chicken tractors out of various reclaimed materials you can find you know in your shed or on your neighbor's you know barn that maybe they don't need anymore and you can just you know hammer together something that's gonna you know keep your birds safe for eight weeks while they grow out and um and allow them to to kind of forage and express their natural chicken tendencies which are scratching and pecking and looking for bugs and oh. and then you get your chicks and you can you know, get your chicks from a variety of different places. You can get them online or at your local feed store. And generally you need to keep them under a heat lamp. So in some sort of little, you know, cardboard or, or fenced in container, usually in a garage or something works good under a heat lamp
0: for the first couple of weeks. Is that
1: first couple of weeks? Yeah. Just until they get their feathers and then they can go out on pasture and, you know, you have to provide them with, uh, a feeder and a waterer and, and keep those topped off every day. Um, but your commercial production breeds like Freedom Rangers and Cornish Cross um, are definitely a good place to start because they are have such a quick turnaround. It's not a huge commitment. You know that in eight weeks for Cornish Cross or 11 to 12 weeks for a Freedom Ranger, they're going to be ready to process. Um, and so you grow them out until they're that age and then and then you need to process them and that's a whole different you know aspect of keeping meat birds is the
0: which, process which i want to talk about that in a second too um uh, yeah. but you know so c- compared to you know going to a pcc if we're a hipster right and we buy the rotisserie chicken it's probably a three and a half pound bird um, beat up to shreds you know in the rotisserie oven um, right. you're spending 11 or 12 dollars for that um, you go to Costco, even the organic birds, the two pack that you can buy. I mean, I think we're at 22 to 28 bucks, something like that for a two pack. Yeah. So you're still again, 12 to $14 per bird, um, from the economy side of doing this. Let's say you do have enough, uh, a backyard you do, you've been able to build a, sort of a rudimentary, you know, tractor to keep, um, you know, the birds safe and fed and so forth. Uh, what can you expect the economy of this to look like? I mean, are you making money? Are you losing? Like, is it worth it? Because I feel like I have a lot of opinions on that myself, but I'd love to hear what you have to say about it.
1: Yeah. You know, I mean, I think chickens definitely are a tight profit margin if you're producing for sales. Um, You know, in fact, there's like, you know, who is processing them and what the processing fee is make a huge difference. And um you know how much you profit at the end of that chicken after it's sold but I think for producing for your own consumption you could probably look at fifteen to twenty dollars per bird depending on if you are um, raising them organic on organic feed or commercial you know typical non-organic feed um, you know with processing and all your inputs that you're throwing into raising those birds. So, you know what? I do not think that raising your own meat is cheaper than buying your food at the grocery store, but you, what you get out of the meat you raise yourself, I think has so much value compared to what you're going to buy at a grocery store. You know exactly what that animal ate, you know, what kind of life it lived and, you know that what you're eating you know was high quality whereas when you buy that $5 chicken at the grocery store you know you don't know where you don't even know where it was raised or how it was raised you know if it was out on pasture or if it um, was raised in a chicken house you know like what you get for raising your own food is security knowing that you can raise your own food and you know, the quality that you're getting and and passing that, you know, nutrition that comes with high quality onto your family. You know, you're, you're improving the health of you and your family by eating food that you've raised yourself.
0: And it's a, it's a really good point because I think that the economy of doing this doesn't always make sense. And, but, it, but I think that's where the paradigm is. You have to get people to think that, um, what is what is really the most important thing? Is it the cost of the chicken or whatever protein you're you're buying or or whatever, or is it you've controlled literally from day in, day one when you're raising you know meat birds, um, what everything that they that it ate, and you uh, you can you know know beyond a shadow of a doubt um, that whatever it was that was important to you and how you fed them, that's what you ultimately are consuming uh, at the finished end. And Mm -hmm. what is, you know, so what is the most important thing? And I think everybody has a little bit of a different opinion about it, but we certainly got to a place where um, it's not about the money. It's more about sort of the control and not to sound like we have some mental health issue, but (laughs) that we want to know. And and we do the same thing with some of the other animals as well. But, uh, but anyway, yeah, that's, it's a really good distinction, you know, um, is really what, what is the most important thing for you and your family and if you're eating what they ate, that has to enter into the conversation. Mm-hmm. Well, so you've raised them for eight weeks, uh, depending on the breed, um, they are ready to go. Um, which is amazing, by the way, eight weeks from basically birth to, you know, to the finished, uh, you know, to the roasting pan or whatever. Uh, what know. What does butcher day look like? Do you call it that? I mean, what what is the day? What does that day look like when it's time to put your, your birds into the freezer or or wherever it goes?
1: Butcher day processing day. They're kind of one of the same. And yeah, it's usually an early morning getting set up. You got to go get your ice for chilling the carcasses after you eviscerate so that they get down to a cold temp so that they don't develop bacteria and stuff on the carcass. Um, So that's really important. Going to get your ice in the morning Getting everything sanitized, so, you know, taking a bleach cloth to all your surfaces that you're going to be processing on, wiping down your um, plucker, getting your scald water heated up. Uh, There's a lot of preparation, I think, that goes into processing. And I think that's probably, honestly, the hardest part is gathering all your tools and equipment, getting everything ready to go, and then getting right down to it, I think, is um, is actually pretty easy. You know, once you understand what you're doing and how to do it and have the tools you need, the actual process of turning live chickens into table ready birds that are going to go in your freezer is pretty easy. Um, and so, you know, it's, I think the more hands you can have to help you, um, the better it's definitely, uh, you know, a process that's made more fun by, Getting all your friends together and be like, "Hey, I'm gonna send you home with five birds if you come and help process for the day," and and um, you know, kind of making a a fun day out of it instead of trying to do it all yourself definitely helps.
0: Yeah, I agree. And and one of the things that uh, there's lots of equipment available out there, um, but what it really comes down to, right, is a decent knife, um, <laughs> and you know, maybe a lesson in the the most humane way to kill the chicken. Um, and then what a big pot of hot water, right? Because uh, that's what loosens a lot of those feathers up. And then you can pluck them with your hands. You could use the fancy pluckers, which are amazing and awesome. Uh, but if you don't have to, to make this work, right? You can just yank them with your fingers and, and all of a sudden yeah. there's a, you have a bald chicken.
1: You can do, you know, do five to 10 birds at a time with you and your partner. And you can do that all by hand with really, really simple equipment. Exactly like you said, a good sharp knife you know, a pot of water, 142 degrees and, um, yeah, some good plucking fingers, you know, and and that's really (laughs) all it takes. Um, some coolers and some ice and you're good to go.
0: So, so it's plucked, you eviscerate, which is the technical word for taking out all the guts. Mm -hmm. There's a little bit of technique right around the tail. Um, all the other, you try not to get that bile sack, which is consistent with killing really any animal, anybody that hunts game, uh, and so, so forth knows that trick. You don't want to puncture that thing. Right. Um, and you pull all that out. Um, you save what? You save the heart. A lot of people eat the chicken hearts, the gizzards, mm-hmm. heart, right? Livers, your livers. feet,
1: your gizzards, yeah.
0: And chicken feet, yeah. what do people use that for chicken stock? Or I know there's some some uh, cultures that use it as uh, kind of an actual you know, food appetizer, maybe. <laughs> I don't know.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I think there's some cultural dishes where, yeah, people do just kind of, you know, maybe marinate, cook and, and chew the, just get a meat off the feet. But yeah, they're commonly used for stock. Um, you know, you kind of boil them down for a day or two and get a nice dense stock out of them. You know, the livers can go to pate you can make, um, you know, the gizzards are delicious. You clean out the inside and peel off the membrane and then you can batter and fry them um and very then the popular hearts. in the south yeah, mm-hmm. yeah you can you can fry up the hearts um you know you can make use of all those little pieces um and then there's always a good little bit of, of tasty tidbits left over for the dogs or the cats you know there's very little <laughs> to waste
0: right the dogs and cats i love love butcher day for sure so they're they're eviscerated they're cleaned uh they're in the cooler Um, And then, you know, you could variety of ways probably to store them. You can just put a simple Ziploc bag on them and be fine. You could probably shrink wrap them. There's some cool things out there to where it'll suck around it, just like you buy the birds in the store. And now you've got a freezer full of chickens. Does that sound right?
1: That sounds right. Yeah, there's, you know, you can, you can get as uh, complicated with it or as, as simple with it as you like and, and end up with, you know, a bunch of really good nutritious food in your freezer.
0: I love that. So let's say it's not just for feeding ourselves, but you want to try to make a business out of it, which I know you have. Mm-hmm. Not only teaching the classes, but you, uh, you know, harvest your own chickens and you process them in a way to where you sell them. Right? Are you, mm-hmm. are you participating in some area farmers markets?
1: Um, I'm no longer selling my chickens at the farmers markets just because I have um, buyers for them all lined up pretty much from the beginning of the year, I, I sell CSA shares for my chickens. so
0: oh fantastic.
1: Yeah, so they can sign up and say, I'm gonna get you know two chickens every month or um, you know or I just want 15 in July or you know they can decide what they want and then I know what I have to produce. And then I have the deposits that I take to hold those chicken shares with the year help me to pay for my chicks and feed. Um, and all the inputs that go into raising them. So that's uh, a method of selling my chickens that I really enjoy. It also lets me connect with my customers, I think, a little bit more than you would if you're just at the farmer's market or selling them wholesale or retail or something like that. You you get to know your customers. You see them every month. Um,
0: That's amazing.
1: Become a bit of a family, I feel like, a CSA family.
0: I love that. So instead of selling shares of beef, Cattle or 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 pig, you're you're doing it based on how many birds that they want in a specific season, maybe of the year.
1: Yeah,
0: I love that. Do you have to have a special license for that?
1: Um, not necessarily a special license. If you're gonna sell your chickens at retail, um, like at farmers markets, you do need a poultry sales license. Um, and you can get that through the WSDA. Um, you need to process your birds in a licensed facility if you're going to sell them off farm, retail or um, wholesale. Um, If you want to say you just want to get started and you just want to sell some birds to your friends and neighbors, um, the best way to get started would be to apply for a special poultry permit. And that allows you to process birds on farm Um, And sell them to your customers fresh on farm. So basically, you would get this license, you'd have to um, send in some diagrams of your processing station, um, and, you know, the flow of activities involved in processing, um, depending on if if you're on a well or city water, you might have to send in a water test to make sure your water is potable and safe to use to wash the chickens that are going to be eaten. Um, and then this permit allows you to then process those birds on the farm, um, under a set, um, number of dates that you've given on your application. Um, and you can process up to a thousand birds under this permit per year. And, um, and then you would have your customers pick them up at the end of the day, fresh, um, on farm. And, and that's kind of the workaround for getting started or for, maybe small scale farmers that do have customers that can come and pick up the birds as soon as they're ready. Um, So you can do that if you wanna process yourself. And then your other options are, you can use a WSDA processing service. Um, And so one of our local services has been Carnation Farms here in Snoqualmie Valley that offers a paid per bird service where um, for maybe, six to eight dollars per bird you can get them processed so that you don't have to do that yourself you drop them off at the processor in the morning and then you come pick them up in the afternoon and those Mm -hmm. birds are processed under a wsda food processor license and a co-packing permit which allows them to process the birds for you and then you can then take those birds and sell them um, you know to customers retail farmers market restaurants that sort of thing
0: So the first one allows you to do kind of a CS, kind of like buying a beef share, right? The specialty poultry permit people kind of eyes wide open. They know what they're getting. They're buying three birds from you. You don't need uh, necessarily to go to the WSDA. um, uh, Excuse me, butcher. Is that correct?
1: Yes. So you kind of you kind of skip the service and do it yourself with a special poultry permit.
0: But you can Um, still sell them under the sort of friends and family concept because they they're buying to, in bulk. They,
1: anybody. Yeah. You can sell them yeah. to anybody. The um, Caveats being you have to sell them on farm. They have to be sold fresh and you have to, you, you, obviously because you're selling them on farm, you can't sell them out of state. Um, and Understood. that's one of the other um, restrictions of the WSDA processing is they have to be still sold in Washington if they're processed under WSDA regulation.
0: Got it. That's awesome. I didn't, I mean, it's, it's not as complicated as it sounds, but there are a couple of hoops to jump through if people want to look at it as a business. Um, you know, for us, we, we're just trying to fill our freezer a couple of times a year now. Right. Yeah, right. uh, We consume enough chicken that, uh, it makes sense for us to do that. And I'm tired of buying it at Whole Foods and PCC bottom. Right. <laughs> um, okay. Very awesome. Uh, so transitioning just a little bit here, um, You have, you teach other classes. So chickens aren't the only thing Um, we use that as kind of our model, but you teach other classes. You mentioned rabbits. Is that a new, like, I mean, people have been eating rabbits forever, but I feel like some of us have missed out on the generation of rabbit eating. Is that true? Is it becoming in vogue again?
1: I think so. I think it's definitely coming back. I think people are realizing how easy and productive rabbits are, you know, as a backyard meat source. Um and and, you know, and they're fun. You know, there's something you can raise with your family, um, you know, and turn it into a a learning experience. Um and and they they can produce a massive amount of meat for for your freezer every year. I mean, they reproduce, you know, it it takes them 30 days to gestate and they can have litters of 10 or 12 and, you know, you keep two or three doughs and all of a sudden you've got hundreds of pounds of meat. Um, And so, yeah, they're a great source and, and it's a nice lean, healthy meat too.
0: So it's, and you're not supposed to say it tastes like chicken, but it's kind of like the dark meat, right? It's like uh, turkey, dark meat versus the white breast meat.
1: It's very, yeah, it's very mild flavored. It's not gamey at all. It is. It's very similar to chicken but you know maybe less less stringy i think than
0: chicken okay cool i love that so are you doing other classes are you teaching classes with pigs and goats and sheep and anything else
1: we're doing some um we're kind of playing around with some demo workshop days um we're doing a sheep shearing demo this fall in september um with a local shearer just to kind of get people out as something, you know, pretty family friendly. You know, if you don't want to bring your kids to a butchering workshop, you can take (laughs) them out and, you know, just spend a couple hours on the farm, meet the sheep, we'll offer some fleeces for sale off the hoof. And, um, and so that's something fun we're going to do this year. And then next year I'm hoping um, we're going to have some more resources available, some more infrastructure available to do, some more meat processing I think on a larger scale um or in a situation where we can kind of teach the breakdown of um meat a little bit more and so I'm hoping next year we can branch into maybe doing uh, a hog butchery and husbandry workshop um I think that would be really fun and that was something that um we had a local farm, the farmstead Meat Smith, who lived in this area yeah. um was doing and um and, you know, folks just love that. I took one of his workshops. I thought it was amazing. It was just like a start to finish, really understanding, um, you know, not only the the raising and the slaughter process, but breaking down like a whole hog into into cuts, I think is really helpful. It helps you understand, you know, the value of the animal as a whole, as opposed to just going to the um, grocery store and just buying, a, you know, bacon or pork chops. Like, you you learn how delicious some of these other parts of the animal can be, I think, if you get to break it down in its entirety.
0: I love that. Oh, I, th- I hope you do that. That's, uh, I think, needed. I think the the family that you're des- uh, describing, too, I think they moved out of the area, uh, so yes. there's a little bit of a vacuum for that. But I, I do know um, enough people that would be interested in a class like that, so I hope that works out. Um, how can one support you and other small-scale farmers? What What is you know, the, the citizens of, of our area, what can we do uh, to support all of you and everybody else that's doing something like it?
1: Buy local, you know, find out who your neighbor farmers are and see what they have to offer and, and see if you can get signed up, you know, join their CSAs. A lot of small farmers really rely, whether you're a vegetable farmer or meat or livestock farmer, you know, those CSA model, um, options for purchasing meat and vegetables really help farmers get started in the spring when they need the cash flow to buy their seeds and to buy their equipment and to buy their, you know, wiener pigs and the feed to feed them, you know, like that really helps farm, small farmers in particular get started that don't have the big, you know, capital available to just do that on their own. Um, And you know, shop at your local farmers market, just get to know who your local farmers are, start conversations with them, ask them questions, like, let them know that you support them and that you're interested. And and you're going to learn something from them as well, you know, see if they need help. Sometimes farmers, you know, I mean, we work, especially this time of year, like 80 plus hour weeks out in the heat, you know, we're not taking vacations, we're out there working hard producing food. And, um, you know, making sure these things are available to, to feed our communities. And, um, you know, sometimes you just need an extra hand, you know, it, it might just be, oh, we got to move some heavy stuff and and our farm hand isn't available, you know, can you come in and, and just help? Or would you mind helping us do some animal chores this morning? Stuff like that can really help small farmers. Um, and it helps you learn about what it takes to, to raise and grow food. You know, it, it, it's an educational opportunity for you too. So.
0: I love that. One one of the ironic things I think about small scale farming, you know, being kind of cool again. And uh, you know, people are trying to get back to maybe some more of the basic stuff is we have all this technology though available to us, right? We can, we can watch YouTube. We can use our smartphone to set a temperature uh, cause it's Bluetooth, you know, to the thermometer, you know, like we can do all this extra stuff that our forefathers and mothers d- couldn't do. Um, and, and so hopefully we can do it at an efficient level, but without compromising the integrity of what we're trying to do. Right. Love it. Well, one couple more things. And as we wrap up, um, I know you do some other fun things, right? Don't you have, a some, some classes or you're for hire or something T- tell us about that.
1: I think I think to survive as a farm, especially a small farm right now, you really have to be a diverse farm. You have to have lots of different things going on because some years some things work out and some years some things don't. And to have that diversity and what you have to offer allows you to to survive through the ups and downs of, you know, farming is so much of it is just out of your control. You know what happens with the weather and, and the livestock and, you know, you just, you can't control everything. And I think being a farmer is like a a meditation and just like releasing control to the universe and, um, you know, kind of rolling with the punches. And so, yes, we do a lot of different things. Um, We raise our pastured pork and chicken and we teach our workshops and we do um, a little mobile petting zoo to get kids involved in animals and agriculture and get them excited about that. Um, and then, um, right now we're working on, uh, building out a WSDA poultry processing unit, um, that I was able to crowdfund, um, last summer to raise the money to build it. And so we're working on that now and hoping it'll be done by winter because our community really, really needs it. That's uh, awesome. Yeah. And so that's kind of like the big next exciting step for us, I think, is to move into the realm of um, state license processing for ourselves and for others, you know, offering that service. Because like I said, we just, small farmers need it. There's not enough state or USDA license processing options available to small farmers to really grow. I think, I think if we had the resources and the infrastructure we needed to you know, effectively, efficiently, and, um, affordably process our livestock, um, we'd be able to supply more of our local communities. I think we'd be able to rely a little bit more on our local small farmers instead of relying on big commercial producers to provide the, the proteins and, and things that we need.
0: I love it. Well, uh, Lulu, this has been a great conversation. Where can people get more information about you and, and your farm and your your growing interests here on the small scale side?
1: Sure. Um, you can learn more about my farm at feralwomenfarm.com. We're also on Facebook as Feral Women Farm. Um, if you would like to learn more about special poultry permits or processing for sales, I definitely recommend the WSDA website. It's G-O-V. Um And that's a great resource. They've got all sorts of fact sheets and stuff on what you need to know about processing for sales um, on all different levels. Um, and yeah, just, you know, support us. Give us a like on Facebook, comment on some stuff. We always <laughs>
0: Ask well, you, for
1: what people are wanting and, and what people need. And,
0: um, well, and you, you know, use uh, Instagram pretty well. You always have something fun on there.
1: Oh, yeah. We're on right? Instagram too, and yeah. always posting cute pictures of baby animals and whatnot.
0: <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you again for your time. Um, super, been, been super blessed, excited to, to, you know, get to know you a little bit and your growing family, the little junior that was in the background. Um, I can't remember her name, honestly. Rosalie Rosalie I should have easily remembered that uh I'm sorry but uh anyway uh what a what a great family you've got and I'm excited to watch uh what you guys continue to do and we'll continue to to network with uh other like-minded folks it'll be fun